you know how to catch a monkey? I know, what a question, right? I can tell you how they catch a monkey in some parts of the world, or at least how they used to, anyway. Uh, they take a gourd or a jar, something with a small hole in the top. Uh, they place rice or pieces of fruit down at the bottom. Finally, they secure the gourd or the jar to the ground and then wait. Uh, soon, uh, a monkey sticks his hand into the gourd or the jar to try to get the rice or the fruit at the bottom. He grabs a handful but he can't get his hand out of the jar because of his clenched fist. His fist is closed and clinging so tightly to the food that it won't fit through the small hole. The monkey is so greedy that he won't let go of the rice or the fruit. He just stays there with his greedy little fist stuck in the jar until he's eventually caught. The truth is greed doesn't just trap monkeys. The insatiable desire for, for more and for better also traps us. And just like it keeps the monkey caught in the, in the jar or, or the gourd, it keeps us stuck in patterns of ingratitude. So if we're going to be the grateful people God calls us to be, what we're exploring in our sermon series, if we're going to be the grateful people God calls us to be, if we're going to be people alive and free and, and open to God's grace and glory and, and goodness in our lives and in our world, and we have to confront that barrier of greed. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'll be reading from chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. I invite you to listen for God's word. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, in, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. And then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a very bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is asked to intervene in a family dispute, and actually he's ordered to, right? And Jesus has been ordered or, or told to do things by people in the Gospels before. Jesus, heal me. Uh, Jesus, have mercy on me. But this one is a little different. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus doesn't want anything to do with this. He does want something to do with what he sees as the deeper issue, something much deeper than a demand for dividing inheritance. In typical Jesus fashion, Jesus is interested more in the thing behind the thing. And Jesus doesn't really respond to the request, 
what confronts the deeper issue, the desire for more, greed. And he does it with a story. Watch out, he says, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't defined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Like, like many uh, vices that deviate from God's desire and God's design, greed likes to be subtle, right? We don't think we need to worry about greed until, you know, we're like really, really rich. Greed has sometimes come to be even viewed as just being talented or, or smart or, uh, or a careful steward. Greed is a lie we believe because it's so beautifully told. And it's there right from the beginning. Adam and Eve believed the lie that perfect relationship with God and God's world was not enough. They believed the lie that they needed more. In fact, they believed that the lie that God was holding out on them, that being with God wasn't enough, that they, in fact, needed to be like gods themselves in order to be, to be secure. We believe it, too, all the time without even realizing it. We're bombarded with it constantly, aren't we? So we believe that, that God is not enough, that God's provision is not enough, that we are not enough, that what we do is not enough, that what we have is not enough. Of course, deep down, we know what greed is, that, that, that almost insatiable desire for more and, and, and better. We tend to associate greed with, with money and possessions and stuff, and that's certainly a major characteristic of, of greed. But isn't it interesting that Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed, all kinds of greed. In, in other words, perhaps it's not just that we desire uh, more possessions, money, but that greed shows up wherever and whenever we're obsessed with more and better and greater. Perhaps we might be greedy then for power or accomplishment or recognition Desiring a, a certain status, like we must have people applauding for us. Maybe we're greedy for perfection. Nothing we do, nothing we experience, nothing uh, is ever good enough. It always has to be bigger, better, more, more spectacular. One theologian defined greed as the desire to cram the world into one's own mouth. Underlying those all kinds of greed, then, is the presumption that no matter how much we have, money, possessions, power, status, talents, intelligence, we need more. And we need more because we cannot be sure that what we have is secure or that we are secure. So the more we have, the more we must have in order to secure what we already have. And the more we're willing to do to make sure we get what we think we need. Greed is believing and behaving. Be greed is believing that and behaving as if we can secure our own lives with possessions, performance, or power, and not God securing it for us. And so when Jesus tells this parable, uh, it's absolutely a, a greed tied to an obsession of possessions, but it's also a, a story about what greed does to us. Greed kills the possibility of a proper human relationship to creator and fellow creatures. Greed presumes and spreads a world of scarcity, a want, a world where there is never, ever enough. And a world shaped by scarcity is a world that cannot trust 
that God has given all we need and cannot give thanks for what is provided, for all of the beauty and the glory and the goodness and the gifts right in front of our faces. All kinds of greed, but they all do one primary thing. They turn us in on ourselves and so keep us from being grateful. The man in the parable is, is already wealthy. We know that. He, he, he owns lots of land. He's done well for himself. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. There's, there's no, no judgment there. Wealth in of itself is, is not inherently bad. It seems this particular year in the, in the story that the land has produced a, a, a bumper crop. A huge crop. Even more so than, than the expected normal year. What a blessing, right? What, what even more reason to be so profoundly grateful and, and thankful and generous, right? I mean, can you imagine, just for a second, if in the story, if having harvested this amazingly uh, fruitful crop, the wealthy man had, had gathered all his family and all of his laborers together and had said, thank you, God, for your faithfulness in bringing about this, this bountiful harvest. Thank you for entrusting this land to me. To, to tend and to create beauty, you always provide. Thank you to, to all who labored under the sun and the rain to till and plant and harvest this crop. As we share in it together, may it be a constant reminder to us of the abundance of God's mercy. Can you, can you imagine the, the, the world that would have opened up? The space in that man's heart and life for contentment communion with God and others for doing good? That's what gratitude does that greed does not. Gratitude creates a world of community and mutuality. Gratitude by its very nature creates a bigger world because you are the recipient of something and are expressing thanks to someone beside yourself for what you have received. And that involves more than just you. If, if gratitude constructs a world of community and mutuality, greed constructs a world of one. If gratitude creates a world of we, ours, us, greed creates a world of I, mine, me. When gratitude is the breathing in, generosity is the breathing out. When greed is the breathing in, selfishness is the breathing out. Or maybe there's no breathing out. But sadly, in the parable, like, that's, the, that's the world the rich fool continues to inhabit and continues to, to build. This man is only living with and for himself. And the, and the narrative actually switches in the middle of it to a soliloquy, which if you remember it from your high school English class, is, is when a character talks to himself out loud. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Instead of thanking God, instead of thanking his family, 
and has hired laborers for the bountiful harvest, he decides to, to build bigger barns in which to store all his acquired goods and grain. Not just that. He isn't just going to build additional ones. He's going to tear down the ones he already has to build bigger ones. Remember, greed says the more we have, the more we must have in order to secure what we already have. And the sad tragedy here, of course, is that there is no interaction with any other human being. Having made it or believed he has secured uh, his own life, the rich man does not share his joy and his gratitude with his friends, with his God, but only with his own self. Nowhere does he mention others, his family, his friends, his neighbors, uh, workers, the laborer, the soil, the entire web of connections, the, the, the ecosystem that makes such a, a bountiful and rich and fruitful crop possible. His greed has turned him his in on himself and kept him from being grateful. What a narrow world. And then in the parable, uh, and this is rare, God actually interrupts in the middle of the, in, in, this, in this story, interrupts his greedy world of self. You fool, this very night you might die, and then who will get the things you've prepared for yourself? Perhaps the implied answer is the very people his ingratitude has kept him from seeing. The point is, not him. Because life is not determined by what is more than enough. I've been a pastor 10 years. I've been by a lot of hospital beds. I've had the hard privilege of being with families who have a loved one near the, the end of life. There are two things that I can say that I have never heard. I've never heard someone say, you know, I wish I hadn't given so much away. I wish I'd kept more for myself. And I've never heard someone say, you know, I wish I hadn't been so grateful during my life. You know, I could have ended up with a lot more stuff and power. <laughs> Friends, the good news, the good news for us today is that we have been given all we need in order to be delivered from greed. Given all we need, because we worship a God who makes it possible because of God's abundant grace to be forgiven. When we confess and repent, we've been given, we've been given Jesus. And because of Jesus, forgiveness, grace is the gift that turns greed to gratitude. Because to accept God's forgiveness, to accept God's abundant grace is what makes possible the recognition that really all is gift. All is gift. It's what makes possible practicing gratitude instead of greed. And when we come to worship, when we come to the table of God's abundant grace, not scarce grace, abundant grace, we are reminded that God has indeed given us all we need and gives us all we need. We discover that we cannot use Christ up. We discover thanksgiving in ordinary things and places. I'll, I'll leave you with a scene from Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Scrooge, a man actually not too unlike the rich fool in the parable, is visited by three ghosts revealing different things about 
about his, his greedy, self-centered life. In one scene, the ghost of Christmas presents takes Scrooge from his vast mansion of a home where he lives in the cold and in the dark by himself to a small, firelit home in the poorer part of London where his employee, Bob Cratchit, and family are sitting down to enjoy Christmas dinner together. Scrooge comments on how, how basic and meager this Christmas meal is, to which the ghost responds, it's all Bob Cratchit can afford. The implication is biting. Scrooge's greed has made him insular and not generous. As, as Bob Cratchit finishes setting the table and the family sits down, he offers a prayer of thanksgiving for the feast before them. And in that moment, it becomes crystal clear who is truly rich toward God. It's truly clear whose world has been constructed around gratitude and whose has been constructed around greed. May it be clear to us too. As we endeavor to live not with our, our fists tightly clenched, clasped, caught in a jar, but with open hearts and generous gratitude. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.